You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. There, uh, we'll read it from the screen, actually, but uh, you can uh, use your own Bibles if you'd like. Um, we're going to just continue on today. Today we're talking about the, uh, the very unique miracle that took place in Cana of Galilee. And this was uh, at the time of a wedding. And uh, it is actually the first recorded miracle of Jesus. So we're going to look at that. And uh, we're going to pull out some points from this uh, event that maybe we can personalize. We can make a personal application from and I want to talk to you about uh, just, just the perspective of, of about three different people um, as things unfold in this story, okay? And uh, then when we're done with that, we're going to pray and we're going to all go out and eat some really amazing food together, okay? All right, let's look at this together. Uh, from the Gospel of John. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the, jars, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. Stop there. This is sort of the, the layout. This is sort of... Uh, everything that gets us ready for, for this, this miracle uh, that begins to take place here. And we'll read the rest here in just, just a few minutes. But what I want to do is I, I want to just kind of lay this out for you. Now, let me help you to understand why we're choosing what we're choosing right now to talk about, okay? Um, we, we decided that we wanted to, as David just referenced, make Easter this year quite significant, maybe more so than any other Easter in the life of Life Church. All right? So we're really anxious and excited uh, to really try to make this come alive for you. We really want you to experience Jesus during this Easter, maybe in ways that you have not ever experienced him before. All right? So we're going to, to give you several events leading up to Easter, but that is going to be the culmination here as we look in detail at the life of Christ. Then we're going to come back and we're going to look at miracles. We're going to look at different things along the way. Um, we're going to look at some of the teaching, some of the parables, those kinds of things. We're even going to go back in the Old Testament and look at some of the types and shadows of Jesus. All right. So there's a lot yet in the year out there that's unfolding. Okay. So once we hit the Resurrection Sunday experience, then we're going to kind of go back and we're going to kind of get into some details about what, what happened in the life of Christ and his teachings along the way. Um, but needless to say, there, there's, there's, there's so much we could have chosen. Uh, and, and we didn't, all right? But we did pick several events that will lead us up to, to the resurrection because we feel like they speak something to uh, the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, all right? 
And uh, so we, we, we took some care in what we chose, and we chose some just because maybe that was some of our personal preference. You know, that's, a, that's something that we liked in, in particular um, along the way, okay? But we're getting you there. We're getting you to the cross. We're getting you to Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. We're getting you to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all right? That's where we're going right now, and then we'll, we'll expand out from there. So uh, bear with us in that as, as we take you there. But we want today to, to, to uh, look at this particular miracle because it was the first one, all right? It was the first miracle of Jesus. And, uh, and I know that some people will say, well, you can look at miraculous things or miraculous aspects of the life of Jesus prior to this particular miracle. And you are right. We can do that. Certainly, it was a miraculous moment when the angels invaded the, the heavenlies and began to sing and announce the birth of Jesus. All right. That was that was absolutely a miraculous moment in time. It was miraculous. Uh, that um, Jesus was presented in the temple at eight days and that words, prophetic words were spoken over him and he was identified as the Savior, as the Messiah. That's obviously miraculous in some sense, okay? Um, I think it's even miraculous that at age 12 he's found in the temple and his brilliance uh, the, his, his ability, his, his learning and understanding is being uh, displayed to the scholars and the rabbis and everyone. And people are in awe at how articulate he is and how at the age of 12 he is able to, to uh, dialogue with these learned men. That's, that's a miraculous event in and of itself. I think it's absolutely miraculous that, that Jesus, when he was baptized, experienced the most amazing affirmation that any son could ever experience from his father. Father God speaks out of heaven and identifies him and says, this is my son and I am pleased with him. My goodness. You know, that, those things are quite miraculous, okay? But here's what I want you to, to, to catch here. We're bringing this to you because this is the first recorded miracle that Jesus himself does. All right. This is this is the first miracle where he actually uh, changes something, does something in some way that he could not do if he were just a mere human and that you and I cannot do. All right. He cannot do this uh, just out of humanity. And uh, and it's not something that's being done outside of him about him. So we're seeing Jesus come forth now, all right? He's, he is about to, to move now into a different realm, if you will. There's speculation that, and, and, and stories that are told, and, and I, I, don't, I guess I don't have a problem with them, but at the same time, I, I guess I sort of do, about, uh, you know, how that Jesus was probably this mischievous little boy, you know, picking at animals and playing tricks on them and doing little crazy miracles and, and, and almost making him like some little magician doing things, you know. And I think that's all just bogus, you know. I, personally, I just think that's ridiculous. We're talking about the Son of God here. We're not talking about some kid who, who found a magic genie and, 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 and is doing something, you know, crazy or, or, or foolish. I, I think even at... And I know some of us have, we have some struggles even like, like 
wrapping our heads around this Jesus, this Son of God at 12, or, or even at, at maybe 15, or, or, or 18, or, or whatever, you know. At, it's hard for us to see the Son of God growing up, and growing into this fullness, and maturing, and, and all of that kind of stuff. But, but He's doing that. And so now he's come to this place where he is entering into this sort of ministry role that, uh, that is given to him by the Father. And, and so I don't think there were all those little crazy kinds of miracles and things that were going on. I don't think he was doing goofy stuff. I think he was growing. I think he was maturing. He was becoming strong. He was increasing in favor, both with, with, with God and man. I think that he was being groomed in ways that maybe we don't even recognize or understand as he was growing up and going through puberty and all these kinds of things that, that all young men go through. But I think that there comes a point where he starts to really begin to understand. He's grappling with this reality that he is the Son of God and he has this purpose and his eyes are set on the cross and he's going to Jerusalem. And he understands that not only is he the son of God, but he is the chosen one, the lamb that will be brought to slaughter, that will die for the sins of the world, and that he will be resurrected to prove the power and the authority of the living God on the earth. And all sins will be wiped away for those who believe. And I think he takes, that's where he takes great joy in the cross. All right? And so I think this, I personally believe this is his first miracle. I believe that this is the one. This is it. And it's sort of a, uh, out, of, out of time, so to speak. And I'll explain that here in, in just a moment. But I believe that we see an amazing, amazing situation here that, that is the first recorded miracle. And I don't want us to get too far away from that as we're talking about this and, and as, as, as we look at it. Okay? So, here's what I'd like to do. I would like to, to very quickly take the perspective, okay, of, of two or three people here and look at that very quickly, make an application. And then uh, in closing, I'd like to give you a, a few points that I think you should consider about l- how you would approach a miracle in your own life. All right. And, and so I want I want to I want to sort of put something out there for you to, to hold on to as we go through this message this morning. And I hope that this will stir your heart to hope and it will not confuse you and it will not, it will not scare you, all right? I believe in miracles, all right? Wow. <laughs> I didn't know that that statement would have this effect. But I believe in miracles. I don't believe they're, they're just for some age in the past. I don't believe they were just for Jesus and the disciples. I don't believe we've lost them. I believe they're available to us. And, and I, I, I feel so strongly about that and I feel emotional about that this morning. I think, I, I think this is why I'm feeling emotional. is because I know that there are some of you that, that are, are longing to hug a miracle. There are some of you here today that, that you're longing for some kind of miracle in your own life. And I, I really believe that I sense that uh, in, in, in the Holy Spirit this morning. And, and I want very much to agree with you in your miracle chase. All right, I want to very much agree with you to, to go after your miracle from Jesus. All right. 
So I want to say to you that as a church, let it be understood. Let there be no mistake today. We as Life Church, we believe in miracles. We believe that God is still on the throne, that His Son Jesus is alive, that He is at the right hand of the Father, that He is interceding for you and I, that He has the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to visit us, and that we can see the miraculous happen around us. We, we believe that. We, we hold on to that. We grab that, okay? So I want to challenge you and I that we live in some level of expectation. And I'm hoping that this little message this morning can bring that to you. All right, That it can, it can impart to you a sense of hope and renewed faith. And I don't want you to give up on your miracle, whatever that may be. All right, I want us to go after those kinds of things. So I want to, I want to keep praying for you. And I want you to keep praying. And I want us all to keep believing. And I want us to, to join together more in prayer for one another and for these, these wonderful, wonderful, um, possibilities that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? I, um, I was reading about one pastor. And he was talking about how he was in this kind of unique band when he was young and they played at weddings. And on one occasion they were asked to play for a, a, a Palestinian Muslim wedding. And uh, it was actually uh, taking place, it was wealthy, wealthy uh, Palestinian family and it was taking place at the uh, Grosvenor, I think, I'm probably not saying this right, but the Grosvenor Hotel. It's in Edinburgh. Borough. Is that, would, would you, yeah, okay. Um, and, and what he said was that, that like many Palestinian weddings and, and weddings uh, from, from Eastern culture, that it just went on forever and ever and ever. It was just this, this very, very lengthy uh, celebration, and there was so much symbolism and all kinds of things that went on there uh, with it. But he said that uh, the amazing thing was, was some of the, the cultural things that, that happened and, 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 and what it symbolized. And he said, you know, we had to, we had to shake our heads as, as the band playing the music. We had to, we had to shake our heads and, and kind of empty ourselves out of our own experiences. And we had to kind of come into something uh, and we had to kind of begin to understand the culture and we had to understand the, the context. We had to understand the, the place and the people that we are, were around so that we could accommodate as, as they sat down and planned the wedding with the musicians, uh, this little band. These guys suddenly realized that they'd gotten themselves into something here, you know, and uh, so they had to understand the culture very well. And, and I would like to ask you to do the same today, that you would sort of get away from your you're bent on what a wedding looks like or what a wedding is, okay? Let's, let's try to understand the culture and the context that Jesus was in in his day just a little bit, okay? So this wedding doesn't happen the way possibly weddings that you've experienced happen. Okay, uh, so you need to kind of kind of move away from that and, and not make those comparisons today as we look at this wedding. It is it is a, a Jewish wedding. Um, it is in the time of Christ. And there are certain things that are important in this wedding. So let's not get hooked up on on something. Most of all, let's not get hooked up on the fact that they were drinking wine. Could we not do that? I was looking uh, listening to some some sermons about um this particular passage over the past week, um, hearing some slants from, from some, some different pastors, and most of them I greatly appreciated. You know, I really enjoyed their take on the story. I, I liked how they shared and presented 
Um, I very much agreed with a number of them. Then I clicked on this one guy and he comes up and I won't tell you what his faith is or even what part of the, the, the country he's from. But his opening statement was, well, this passage obviously tells us that it is absolutely dangerous for anyone to ever drink a drop of wine. And I was like, wow, I all, I'm not advocating that you all go out and drink wine, but I'm just going, wait a minute, that is, that is not what this is all about. This is not about whether or not you or I should drink wine, okay? There's something much more profound going on here than whether or not we are supposed to drink wine. So I want you, I want you to, let's, let's go back and let's look culturally at this for just a little bit, all right? And that we understand this because I want you to get a glimpse here of who Jesus is. That's why we're bringing this miracle to you in this line, timeline of the life of Jesus, all right? So let's look first at Mary's story. Let's just look a little bit at Mary here, all right? Now, in the Middle East, in the day of Jesus, weddings tended to be affairs uh, most often for family and close friends. You know, they didn't just invite the whole city to come out uh, to a wedding necessarily, all right? And this wasn't like Facebook, where how many friends you have matters, okay? Uh, but these are, these are settings where the family and the close associates and friends come together. So it's highly likely here, if we can speculate a little bit, that Mary was a relative of the family that is hosting this wedding, all right? And, and probably through his mother, Jesus then is also invited along with his disciples who are now traveling with him, all right? And so they are coming into Cana, uh, which is just uh, a short journey north of Nazareth, which would be Jesus's hometown, okay? So Mary notices at some point here that the wine has run out. Now, as I understand it, reading culturally, uh, for, for wine to run out at a wedding in the day of Jesus, all right, in Jewish culture, it was not just a minor uh, mishap. It was not just, it wouldn't be like a little slip up, all right? Uh, it's not something that could just be rectified either by sending somebody down to high V to grab a couple of bottles. All right. So this is a this is a this is the potential for a major disaster in this celebration, in this event of this day. Matter of fact, some say it could even bring shame and dishonor upon the host family to not be able to provide this wine to everyone who was invited to the wedding. All right. And so then Jesus's mother comes to him and she discloses this issue. So it would appear that Jesus' mother has some insight and some, some dialogue going on with the person or the host or whoever's in charge of the, the food and the beverage or some, somewhere in this, she's in some way involved in helping this wedding to move along, it would appear. Okay, and so she realizes that there's a problem here and she goes to her son, Jesus, and she says to him, uh, they're out of wine. And so he responds back to her uh, in verse four. And, and, and he basically, let's put it in our lingo. He's saying, um, you must not tell me what to do here. You know, this is not my time. This is, you know, this is not my responsibility at this moment. I'm not, I'm not there yet. All right. Um, and some seem to, to surprisingly take this as being very rude of Jesus. I don't do that. I don't see this as, as him being rude at all. Uh, I, I think he's just simply saying, he's giving her a no. You know, he's saying, no, this is, this is not my time. I'm not, I'm not the one to take care of this. You know, well, 
I, Mary must be kind of strong. Because she sort of doesn't relent, she doesn't argue, she doesn't debate with, with the Son of God. Uh, she obviously knows more than everyone else there does about him and about his life and his calling. And, and she just simply turns to the servants and says, okay, just do whatever he tells you to do. And she walks away, apparently. So he really isn't, like, uh, asked, you know, well... Sweetie, can you just do it, please? Or, or can, we, can we negotiate? Or, or come on, you, you can do this. You can take care of this. Or, 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 no, you're wrong. It is your time. You need to do this now. This is right. Or she just simply says to the servants, just do what he tells you to do. And there he is. All right. And, and we could probably say and, and speculate a lot of things about that. But let's, let's not. All right. Let's, let's not do that yet. All right. Uh, I don't think this put Mary off. I, I, I don't think she was giving up. She just tells them, you just, you just do what he tells you to do. And here's what, here's what I believe. I believe that as a mother here in this passage, she knew her son probably better than anyone. The amazing thing now is I think something is about to be revealed more to her in this experience. But she, she knew more. And, and, and Jesus does, the amazing thing is, Jesus does here as his mother asks. And so he tells the servants, he says, you go and fill up the stone jars with, with water. Now these are, are six big, big stone jars. Now these are not clay. Uh, these haven't been shaped and molded by the, by the hand of, of, of man. Like some, sometime I'm going to have a pottery wheel in here and I'm going to have someone throw some pottery and, uh, because that's what they know how to do really, really well. And uh, I'm going to get them to do that. And I'm going to preach you a sermon about the master potter and it's going to be just a fun time. All right. We're going to do that uh, down, down the road here. Okay. But these, these are stone jars. Now, I did a little reading about stone jars, and it appears that, that there's quite a lot involved in hewing, the, hewing them out or whatever, uh, you know, and, and they're heavy. So this takes some effort. These, somebody's got to pick these jars up, and they've got to fill them with water, and they hold 20 to 30 gallons of water, and that water is set aside for, for the spiritual, uh, the, the purification, the ceremonial purification, all of that, Okay. So it's kind of a big deal, all right? But Jesus says, says you know, we've got to fill these, these pots with water, and so they are standing there, all right? Now, the amazing thing to me about Mary is that she is very resolute. And she, out of her limited understanding, absolutely trusts that what her son does will be the right thing to do. There is no wavering, it appears here. There is no question here. She says, just do whatever he tells you to do. And I want to challenge you and I to make a personal application right here. Let's look at this amazing woman. Because I, I already admire Mary greatly. All right? And I, I think she's just this amazing woman. But I think this is one of the most amazing moments and this is, this is sort of like the, the one-sentence sermon of Mary here. And there's so much to learn from it. Because she, she is just resolute. You just go do whatever he tells you to do. And she walks away. 
How many of you in the difficult circumstances of your life, in the, in the troubling situations, in the moments of anxiety, in the panic attack, in the depression, in the, in the heartache, in, in, in whatever is going on in your life, that you become so resolute that you can say, Jesus, just do what you need to do and let it go. And just walk on. She had no idea what he was going to do. She, she wasn't looking on the other side of Jesus. She's come to Jesus. She's looking at Jesus. And I think this is an amazing lesson. This is a tremendous application for you and I. Because you're not going to get to see what's out there in front of you most often. You, you don't get the privilege of futuristic re- revelations. All right? He's calling you to trust him. He's calling you to lay your life down and and give your life to Him and let Him pick it up and and trust Him with it. And she looks at this Son of God and says, all right, you just do what He says to do. And she walks away and she leaves it in the hands of the Son of God. And I would challenge you and I to live more of our lives that way. Where we're able to say, okay, Jesus, (laughs) do what you will. Have your way. We sing that song all the time. But do we really let him just have his way? Do we really just trust him when we can't see what is out there in front of us? Are we really trusting him to take care of it? And are we okay with whatever he's going to do? I think we have so many qualifiers. I think we have so many what ifs and and, and cares about what God will do with our lives. It is very difficult for us to trust at that level. To just lay ourselves in his hands and and sort of walk away and just let him carry us then. uh, By his actions and his decisions for our lives. I think that Mary did something amazing here. And Jesus did not disappoint her. I don't, th- I, don't think he, I don't think he in any way disappointed her. As a matter of fact, I think he came through just as she expected. There was an expectation that he will do it. He will take care of it. Now, I don't know what that will be. I don't know what that will look like. But he will take care of it. But I think he took care of it so amazingly well that I think it challenged even his, his mother. Wow. I, I personally think at the end of the day, when it was all said, and you ever, you ever been a part of planning a wedding or helping with a wedding or being in a wedding and after the, or even just attending a, a really big wedding after it was all over with at the end of the day, what do you do? You sit around and talk about it. You sit around and kind of dialogue it and rehearse it and go through it again, you know, and all oh, that was great. And I can't believe that person did that. That was so wonderful of them, you know, and all these kinds of things. I think at the end of the day, Mary was pondering one more time. Whoa. Well, I had no idea. I knew he could take care of it. I knew, I, knew, I knew it'd be all right, but I had no idea. My, my, that wine steward was so impressed. That guy was just amazingly impressed at what happened. It spoke to him. This is amazing. In just a minute, I'm going to show you, though, that she had no idea how amazing it was. All right? But I want to challenge you and I that we live more like Mary, all right? That is, that is sort of the, the meditation for you and I. There's a story told, pastors use this as an illustration. This has been used as an illustration many, many times. 
There's a story told about a young, a young boy. I'm assuming that it is a, it is a true story. But this young kid was, was trapped in a fire in, a, in, a, in a, an apartment building. He was several stories up, uh, like two or three stories up. And, um, and he, uh, the fire was just engulfing the, the lower part of the building. And his father was there and, 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 and the, the fire department and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and his, dad, he, he, his dad could see him and his dad yelled to him. And he said, he said hey, just jump. Come on, just jump. I, I got you. Jump. And, and the little boy's standing there, and he's very tentative, and he's seeing the, the fire and the flames are coming up. And the dad's saying, jump. Come on, you jump. And so out of just, you know, desperation, the dad just screams it out. Jump. Come on, jump. And the little boy yells back, and he says, I can't see you. And the dad yells back and says, it doesn't matter. I see you. And I want to challenge you and I. You don't have to see everything. You don't have to know everything. By faith, just trust that the God in heaven and His Son Jesus see and know all. And He says, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you to the end of the age. And as long as He can see, you don't have to worry. Mary couldn't see the end of things. But she believed that Jesus could take care of the situation. The man in charge of the feast. Every wedding in the day of, of Jesus' time would have this person. As I refer to him as a wine steward. Maybe it's a master of ceremonies. Maybe it's, it's just a member of the family that's put in charge or whatever. Uh, the food and drink and taking care of all of that. Okay, But it was quite an ordeal to take care of all the food and get it ready and the wine and everything and, and have every, everything there. You know, And so it was to this particular man that these servants now take these uh, stone jugs, if you will, uh, uh, of uh, water uh, for purification, uh, or ceremonial cleansing, uh, that, that they take them. But something now has happened. This water, as it is being poured out, it appears to be wine. And so they, they take... The, now, I, I would imagine, if I were going to speculate, which I'm speculating a bit today with you, okay... But I would speculate that this guy is nervous. He knows he's running out of wine. He already knows they're at the end. He's gravely concerned, I'm sure, not only for the success of the wedding, but his own reputation and maybe his standing in the family or whatever. There's a number of issues going on. There's turmoil inside of this man. And the servants... Give him samples of the water from the stone jars that have turned to wine as it's being served. And John tells us that it appears the servants understand what's happened here. But the man in charge of the feast doesn't understand this. He doesn't know this. What he knows is a good glass of wine when he drinks it. He understands good wine. And so even though he doesn't perhaps know too much about Jesus, probably very little actually, um, he recognized that something extraordinary has taken place, it would, it, would, it would seem, all right? And so what he does is he calls the bridegroom and, and he says to him, here's the amazing thing, 
Young man, everyone else serves the best wine first. And after the guests have had plenty to drink, he serves the ordinary wine. But you've kept the best wine until now. He doesn't really know what's happening. He doesn't really know what's going on. But he knows that it's different. It's, it, this is a different order. Isn't that interesting? The best wine is saved for last. It's amazing, some unique parallels. And we'll, we might bring these out in more detail after Easter sometime when we talk about types and shadows. But isn't it interesting how that the, the life ministry of Jesus begins with this feast, if you will, this wedding feast on this particular occasion, and the best wine is brought out last. And at the end of it all, we're going to be at that feast table with the new wine, Jesus. All right? And we're going to be rejoicing with Him in that day, at that wedding table, because we will be the bride of Jesus. When Jesus gets in, the order of things change. And you may not understand it all, but it's different with Jesus. And I want to challenge you and I that, that, that we see that, we understand that. You, you may be like this, this wine steward, as I refer him to be. Uh, you, you recognize that there's something special about Jesus. You, you, you know that there's something about him, about his, his life here, if you will, about his teachings. There may be something that you admire about him. But what is happening is hopefully that's giving you the desire to know more. And that is one of my great hopes in this year. And in these messages that, that we are preaching, that you are involved in the life of Jesus. And maybe you can't put your fingers on everything that's going on. And you don't know what all is happening. But you're starting to see the mark of Jesus in events and circumstances and situations. And the order of things hopefully is changing a bit. Even the order of how you react to life. My prayer is that you are no longer first reacting out of dismay or doubt or unbelief or negative criticism or anything like that, but that your first responder to circumstances and situations is Jesus is afoot. He's here. Let's find Jesus in this place. Let's touch Jesus. Let's get a hold of Jesus. Jesus is our answer. And so I want to challenge you that you begin to see differently and you, you understand that this Jesus, this second Adam, this last Adam, if you will, is the best. The best was saved for the last. And he's coming again for you and I. All right? Then I'd like to tell you about one more perspective here. And that is that of the disciples. They're a part in this story. They had only recently begun to follow Jesus. It was only two days, uh, some will say, before uh, the wedding at, at, at Cana that, that, um, that uh, well, for, them, for Philip and Nathaniel especially, that they began to, to follow Jesus. He had just called them into following him. So at, at this particular point in time that we're talking about, this, the disciples, that they must have understood something, all right, about who Jesus was. Enough at least to, to leave their families and to leave their livelihoods and to, and to follow him, you know. I mean, 
given uh, in verse 49 of, of chapter 1 of John, Nathaniel speaks and he says these words. He says, teacher, you're the son of God. He declares it. He got it. He understood it. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. He got the revelation. He got the understanding. Yet they had no real witness of this. You know? They, they, they had no miracles yet to follow his ministry. And, and I'm not sure even what the disciples were thinking as they're following him. You know, the, 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 the miracle at Cana was a surprise for them. It, it, it came out of nowhere. It wasn't. I mean, Jesus did not say, OK, guys, come on, look, we're going to go to this wedding and I am going to show up. I am going to break bad here. You watch this. I am going to wow these people. I am going to take this thing and run with it. I am going to take over at this wedding. It is going to be phenomenal. Hold on to your seat. No. He says, we're going to Cana to a wedding. And they follow because they've made this commitment to follow him. All right? And so... Now, they may have expected to preach right away. I don't know. I don't know what their expectation. We're gonna, we're gonna, maybe they expected to take over. Maybe they expected that, that Jesus is, is going to, to move in Cana, and then they're going right back to Nazareth, and then they're going to head to Jerusalem, and then he's just going to take over, and he's going to become king. But as their teacher, Nathaniel addresses him as teacher. So they have an expectation that he is their teacher. He is going to teach them. He's going to impart to them. They understand this. And I, I, would, I would suspect that at least some of them were thinking, what are we going to learn at a wedding in Cana? What, what's there for us? When you, when you look at this passage in John's words, he says this, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed, this is verse 11 at Cana in Galilee, he thus reveals, he revealed what? His glory. Oh, he's the son of God. He reveals his glory. And the disciples, wow, they put their faith in him. He sealed it. He sealed it. Right there. It's like, oh, wow. They had stepped out in faith. They, they're trying to do this thing. They're trying to follow Jesus. And they are doing it in the, in the more literal sense. But in their hearts, it's new. It's fresh. In their minds, there's thoughts. There's questions. There's things that are going on. But suddenly, Jesus reveals His glory. And it says... That they put their faith in him. This is an amazing moment for the disciples. Mary maybe didn't understand this. The wine steward maybe didn't understand this. But Jesus does something spectacular here. He seals his followers around him. The faithful disciples. He seals them. And, and, and he is expressing his glory in this miracle. And they see it. They get it. Here's the application I want for you and I. I don't know when you started following him. I don't know when you first said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it all down for Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after him. I don't know how much in your heart, in your emotions, kind of pull and tug in this walk with God. 
I mean, when I gave, when I gave in, I said, I said I'm all, I, it's all, it's everything. It's all or nothing. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the whole thing. And I, for me, it was a literal giving because I left my, my culture, my home, my family, and many of you have done the same kind of thing. But I, I said, okay, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. But that hasn't been without thoughts, without questions, with, without turmoil, without anxiety, without stuff going on inside of me. And I want to say to you today, let's, let's give it all we've got. Let's jump in there. I believe that God wants to reveal Himself and he, through the, the glory of His Son in your life. I think that's what this year is all about. We are about learning Jesus. All right? We're going to see His glory. We're going to experience the glory of the Son of God in this year. Pastor Dave is right. I mean, we, he and I, you, you would think that we were like, we lost it. In, and we are like head over heels, crazy, wild people sometimes in our office. Because we'll get to talking and we'll get to laughing and we'll get excited and we're planning and we're thinking... Easter is going to be so great, you know, and we're just, we're like two giddy little boys in there laughing about it, you know, and we are, we're going to have, we're going to have something on Monday, Thursday, we're going to have something on Good Friday, we're going to have something on, what is Saturday, Holy Saturday, uh, Easter Sunday, Palm Sunday, I don't know what Monday and Tuesday are, you're going to fast probably, okay, but we're just going to, we're going to have stuff, you're going to be doing stuff, it's going to be, someone's going to be crazy, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you to understand and experience Jesus. And as we do, hopefully, the questions and the constant angst and such is going to just dissipate because you're going to know Him, because you're going to see His glory, and it's going to build your faith. That's what it's all about. All right, let's get done here. Let me go back to the first couple of pages of my notes. I want to share... Let me, let, me, let me quick run through a few points here. This is, this, let's go back to this idea of a miracle. I want you to have your miracle. I want you to experience Jesus. And just experiencing Jesus is a miracle. All right? Just getting the revelation of Him is, is miraculous. All right? So I don't want you to, I'm not minimizing anything here. But some of you, you've been holding on to some stuff and you, you want a, a major miracle in your life. Listen, Mary came to Jesus and she invited Him into this thing. She, she brought him into it. If you want a miracle, you've got to bring Jesus into it. I do not believe that miracles happen outside of Jesus. All right? Jesus gets the glory. Not you, not a pastor, not a church, not any other organization, nothing. All right? It is Jesus. If, if the emphasis is on a, anything but Jesus, it's not a valid miracle. I don't care what happened. All right? So we've got to invite, invite Jesus into your need. All right, invite Jesus into your circumstance. Bring him into it and trust him in that place. All right, which is, is the second point I want to bring up is that you need some prayer. You need some intercession. We're going to try to elevate prayer in this church a bit more and, and, and offer more opportunities for prayer as we go forward here. But, but I believe that this sort of the second step for a miracle, the first is sort of like inviting Jesus in, but the second is sort of like going to him and, and making your request known. Mary says, hey, there's no wine. Do what you need to do. And then believe. 
Just believe, okay, that the Lord can come into that place. I'm not trying to set you up for failure here. I'm just saying these are some things we can work on. These are some things that we can, can hone, all right, as we look for God to do the miraculous things. The third thing, I think, is that, that we obey the instruction. She says to the servants, just do what he says. He tells the servants what to do. They go and do it. They go and do it. Whatever God is telling us, let's do it. I think God's telling us to take this neighborhood. I don't know how we're going to do that exactly. We're still trying to figure that out. All right? But we're doing better than we did a year ago. We're doing a whole lot better than we did two years ago. And we're doing really better than we did three years ago. We weren't taking anything. But we're here. And God has called us to be here. Let's, let's hear. Let's seek and hear God and hear what He's saying to us. All right? And then there were the stone pots. I don't know what all he's going to give us, but I believe in this year God is going to give us the instruments that we need to show and demonstrate his glory in the earth. And listen, the Bible says that you are to sanctify yourself. And the reference is as a vessel of honor. Maybe you're the water pot that God will use to do something to show His glory. And I believe if we can hone in on those things a little bit, I believe God will show up. Because He's promised us in His Word if we will exalt Jesus above every other, He will draw. He will draw men to Him. you don't know him that way, you can. Pastor, 